<laughs> oh, that's a good start. <laughs> okay, well, usually, me. <laughs> well, usually Steve's provides the gassy outbursts, but I guess... <laughs> Okay, hi, and welcome to Cult Movie Carnivores, the podcast where we dig our teeth into cult classic cinema, and it gives us indigestion. <laughs> my name is David Bartholome, and instead of Steve today, we have... Rob. Rob Allen, my boyfriend. <laughs> um, so, we were in a little bit of a break because it was the holidays, and I was too drunk and stoned to edit any audio, so now we're back, and we're sober, and we're... It's a hard re- life, isn't it? <laughs> ready to record. Um, so what movie are we talking about today, We're Rob? talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, not Charlie and the Chocolate no, Factory. No, fuck that movie. I've never seen it, and I never will. The movie? Fine. Never say that about the book. The book no, is fantastic. No, the book I love. Mm-hmm. I was such a Roald Dahl fan mm-hmm. growing up, but yeah, no thanks. Johnny Depp, go fuck yourself. Um, so, Do you think he could do that? Probably. Like, actually fuck himself. He's probably that guy who can like suck his own dick, you know? Is that physically possible, or would you have to get ribs removed? I think if you're flexible enough, you could probably do it. I mean, there are people who can, like, bend over backwards and have their crotch, like, over their forehead, so I feel like we you could probably... have to go to a circus and ask A the perverted arm. circus. Yes. I mean, all circuses are kind of perverted, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Swiftly moving on. So, what cult qualifiers do you think apply to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? My first one was innovation. Oh, okay. Why, you may ask? Because uh, who else has made a film about a chocolate factory? <laughs> Explain that to me, Jamie. Who? I, I, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, serious qualifiers in that case. Uh, loose ends and nostalgia. Okay. Um, mine are... The big one for me is Strangeness. This movie oh, yeah. is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, also Allegory and Genre. And then some intertextuality, reception, a little bit of high-low art, promotional stuff. And then also there's, like, a little bit of um, cultural sensitivities. And also just the way that this movie has sort of, like, pervaded the wider culture, at least the Western culture, you know? Yeah, I would say that. Like, getting a golden ticket is sort of now a saying that implies, like, getting a a one-in-a-million chance or, like, winning the lottery, you know? And also, like, so, like, you know, yeah, I've got my golden ticket is sort of, like, a phrase that's sort of invaded the Western colloquialism. And then also, like, the meme of Gene Wilder, sort of, like, with his resting. Yeah, with, like, his head resting on his hand, being, like, like a smile, you know? What other... I can't think any think of any off the top of my head. Maybe uh, Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. or the Clever Girl ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only other film I can really think of just now. That finished the question. No, I'm just saying. You said that's the only film I can think of that that has really become a meme. Okay. Or had 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 the uh, parts within it that are turned into memes more. There are probably loads of them, I just can't really think of Yeah, I'm sure there are a ton. I'm not yeah. super clued into meme culture, but I'm sure there are lots, and I'm just like not aware of them. You need to spend more time in the bowels of the internet. No thanks. Um, so, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is just how you came about discovering this movie for yourself. When was the first time you saw it? Uh, honestly, it was actually at least relatively recently. It wasn't part of your childhood? The movie, no, the books were. Mm-hmm. The books, uh, I listened, or sorry, I I read the books a lot. Uh, I read Twits, uh, James and Giant Peach, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, what else? I think it was probably the only ones. I listened to them all uh, in, I think, 
there were uh, it's just like audiobook sort of things. Uh, and the only book of his that I don't think I've read but have listened to and absolutely loved was George's Marvelous Medicine. Uh, uh-huh. That's pretty much my favorite one that he's That's ever done. That's one of the ones I haven't read. Yeah, it's one of those sort of outlier books. It's not as famous as the rest of them, but I think is probably the best that he's done. I just absolutely love it. Mm. My favorite was always Matilda. Um, but yeah, I read that too. That's a really good one. But yeah, I definitely read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory multiple times. Yeah. I saw the movie as a child, though. Like, I grew up watching this movie oh. over and over and over again. I've seen it, like, countless times. That was Grease for me. But, oh, I mean, yes, yeah. Grease as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this was definitely a staple of our, like, DVD rotation at home. Like, car trips, you'd, like, put this in. Or, like, long, like, like winter break from school or whatever, you'd put you this in. You make me feel old now because I used to watch them all on VHS. Oh, well, I mean, we had some VHSs, too, but, like... Old did, did, man Rob going to get his VHSs. I mean, VHSs were kind of a superior technology. DVDs with like you know one scratch and they're ruined. You know, yeah. um, but anyways, um, so this was definitely a part of my DNA growing up, mm-hmm. loving and watching this movie. Um, and there are definitely some scenes that the movie is kind of infamous for, like in particular the boat scene, which was just emotionally scarring. <laughs> See, that's the thing. The boat scene was never really. A big thing for me. Oh it my was god, always I was terrified the, of it. It was always the uh, the chocolate river. Uh, I always remember from the book the very descriptive way that Roald Dahl described all, uh, like as soon as they open the doors into that sort of initial room. Uh-huh. The chocolate room. Yeah. And then there's just everything everywhere. And it just seemed, it's just this wonderland. Uh-huh. But it's barely even, you know, it's the first room. And you think you've arrived there's sweets hanging off trees, mm-hmm. you've got a chocolate river. Everything is edible. All the plants yeah, exactly. are candy, everything, the rocks are candy, like the grass is candy. Everything is edible. But that raises uh, another question of health and safety. <laughs> because not one of think, them not one of Mr. them wore hairnet. Not one of them wore protective overalls. Well they do say that my chocolate can't be touched by human hands. You've taped you've you What know, about the then? Oh, well, that's a whole other thing, but uh, we'll get to that. Um, what, do they just naturally produce, like, Purell from their hands? I think the implication is that the Oompa Loompas are not human, which is extremely offensive um, and problematic. Yeah, watching this movie as an adult, I was like, oh, no. Like, made so uncomfortable by, like, the presence of the Oompa Loompas. Just because it's, just like... I accept them as part of the film. I, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we get there, but yeah, they made me really... Not the Oompa Loompas themselves didn't make me uncomfortable, the, like, indentured servitude of the Oompa Loompas made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just watching it as a child, I loved this movie because, like, Gene Wilder is a genius and, like, he's so unhinged in this, like, really low-key way, you know? Like, yeah. uh, that's just, like, like delightful chaos, you know? Love that. Um but yeah, the boat scene was really terrifying to me. I hated saying terrified of bugs, as you know, and the part where they show the man laying on the ground with the centipede crawling over his face. That's there for like a second. It doesn't matter. It was a was second that, too long. Was oh, that who was, so was whose part was that? Uh... Yeah, it's the person who actually was the man who was subjected to having a centipede crawl over his mouth. <laughs> Centipedes in particular are just so disgusting. Like, the more legs a thing has, the more disgusting I find it. Like, <laughs> so gross. So you're not a fan um, of centaurs in that case in any sort of high fancy? Anything more than four, I'm not a fan of. Four is the most. 
I'm a fan of lots of things with four legs. Um, yeah, so the person who subjected himself to be having this centipede crawl over his face was Wallen Green, who's a friend of the director, Mel Stewart, and he was the screenwriter of The Wild Bunch. Um, and, yeah, he was just the only person they knew who would actually like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> and they have, like, the centipede crawling over the guy's face. They show a chicken being beheaded. Like, yeah, they have, like, a chicken getting its head chopped off. And, like, it's like, what the fuck is happening? It's because this movie was made in, like, 1970. And they were, like, literally on a bad acid trip. They were like, Ooh. Like, acid, crazy. Yeah, 1971 was when this movie came out. Um, But so I guess since we're on it, let's talk a little bit about how this movie came to be. So it was originally written by Roald Dahl as a children's novel, I think, in 1964. Four sixty-six, somewhere in the mid sixties. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then he actually um, was approached to write the screenplay for the movie, mm-hmm. but he ended up um, losing the opportunity to do so because he took too long. Like he wasn't yeah. turning in things on deadline, so they ended up having somebody else do it, whose name I don't have off the top of my head. Um, uh, I believe his surname was Seltzer. Really? Yep. Oh, that's so funny. Um, and so then. It was produced by the Quaker Oats Company because they wanted uh, to create a Wonka bar in real life and they wanted to sell it. Mm-hmm. So they were going to use this movie as a way to get people excited about it. Just a massive it. advertising vehicle for one new chocolate bar. Pretty much, yeah. That seems a bit much. <laughs> it was going to be, the chocolate was going to be released along with the movie and so people could actually like go see the movie and then go have a Wonka bar in real life. Is that like, you know, if the Power Rangers were in a movie that was... You know, funded by Coke, so you could have the Red Ranger only drinking Red Coke, the Black Ranger only drinking Coke Zero, or the White almost, Ranger only drinking Diet Coke. Almost, except the Green Ranger only drinking Coke Life. Uh, almost, except that Coke exists pre-Power Rangers, whereas the Wonka bars only existed in the imagination of Roald Dahl and his book before. Well, I find that a shame that Roald Dahl didn't have the imagination to create his own chocolate bar or the entrepreneurial spirit, um, <laughs> but. Uh, That didn't end up working out. Um, They released (laughs) the movie and they, uh, Quaker Oats, they had a problem with the recipe for their chocolate and it ended up melting in the packages before ever reaching the stores. So they had to recall it and then it just like lost too much money. So they like just gave up and I think they sold the rights to Nestle. So now you can get like Wonka candy, like you can get Everlasting Gobstoppers and Wonka bars and that sort of thing, but it's through the Nestle company now. They do one with I think Pop Rocks inside it or something, which is awful. I know. I mean, being such a fan of this book growing up, I would get, like, an everlasting gobstopper, and I was always really disappointed that, like, it didn't last that long, you know? Bullshit. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) so, that's sort of how the... Destroy their bottom line, Jamie. They could never do something. (laughs) Um, So, that's sort of how this movie came to be. It was basically a big marketing tool, um, which isn't totally uncommon when we talk about our cult movies. We were discuss that for Top Gun, how Top Gun was basically just an advertisement for the Navy yeah, yeah recruitment tool. Um, so, and it's really funny because this movie, one of the things I love most about it is it's like a commitment to the reality of the story and that this story, everybody is so deeply obsessed with this chocolate and these chocolate mm-hmm. bars that like it becomes a worldwide sensation when the golden tickets are released. You know, like I love the little interludes where they're like with the news anchors and they're like it's taking like, this like, yeah. Well, the last golden ticket has been found. I'm sure there's some good news. We just don't know what it is. Thank you and good night. <laughs> you know, so, so like... <laughs> like Kanye made the Yeezy sneakers, right? Or yes. He, yeah, so it's like if he went into chocolate instead of sneakers. Pretty much, yeah. Interesting. Um, I'd like, I love that 
commitment. Like the movie never like blinks, you know, it's like it's dead eye stares into like, (laughs) (laughs) like this is what's happening now. This is real. Like adults will dismiss their class early for the sake of going to buy chocolate bars so they can get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Like they'll invest thousands of dollars in a computer that will tell them via (laughs) algorithm where the chocolate is hiding. Did you you notice who made that computer? Who was it? Which actor? Siemens. It's an it's a genuine electronics company. Oh, so that was advertising again. Yeah, well, there you go. Vertical integration. Boom. <laughs> um, so when they were casting this movie, pretty much Gene Wilder walked in and the director, um, <laughs> Mel something. <laughs> the director Mel Stewart was like, "Okay, yeah, you have the part. Like, you're so clearly Willy Wonka." It's an interesting thing. What? That's something that Roald Dahl was also annoyed by. Mm-hmm. Granted, you know, uh, he didn't turn in his script stuff on time, so they re- they replaced him as screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wanted Peter Sellers mm-hmm. instead of Gene Wilder, as well as the fact that every single member of Monty Python expressed interest in playing Willy Wonka as right, well. Right, but they thought that they didn't have enough international appeal. Which is insane. <laughs> Like when did when did the Monty Python films come out? Was that seventies? It was like about, it was 70s? like around the same time. But like we did Holy Grail on the show, and like yeah. Holy Grail was not a big success in the U.S. Like they weren't like the well known performers that they are now. You know, um, I mean, there's there's that does tie in with this as well. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr., who sang the Candyman song, yeah, it became film. like a top forty. Yeah, it was, it was a big hit. Uh, but he wanted to play Bill, the candy, candy store owner, yeah. the literal candy man. Uh, but he was denied as it was felt that such a big star in the candy store role, a minor role, supporting role, would break the reality of a magical candy factory staffed by right. bright orange little people. Right. <laughs> well, it, like I was just saying, like one of the great things about this movie is that it just like commits to the alternate reality it's creating, you know? And I do kind of agree that having like a really well-known face like right in that first scene cuz the opening credits happen over the footage of a chocolate factory and like chocolate being made, which I actually saw red was Tobler Toblerone. I, I mean, it's I the Tobler factory, so I assume that's the people who make Toblerone. The only people who can make chocolate an offensive weapon. Toblerone <laughs> bars. <laughs> I love Toblerone. You don't like Toblerone? Oh, I love them, but There's... my mouth does not when I try to bite <laughs> into the massive triangles and end up hurting the fucking roof of my mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like Captain Crunch. It's so delicious, but you have to pay a price. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> price in so... blood. Um, so shards of glass they put in to make it extra Christian. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the first scene we have is of the children running into the candy store, <laughs> and right off the bat we get a musical number, and it would be really distracting to have like a really famous musical performer singing. Like I hate that in movies where it's just like filled with cameos of famous yeah. people because it takes you out of it. You're like, oh, there's that famous person. Oh, there's no. that person I know. Yes and no. I mean. You could say that Godzilla, the most recent Godzilla film, pulled something vaguely similar with heavily advertising Brian Cranston in the role that he played. But that character was, and spoiler alert, he was around for like half an hour in the film, and then it went on to everyone else because his character gets killed. I mean, yeah, but and everyone but that's... went along expecting to see. 
Brian Cranston. But that's slightly like, yeah. different because Brian Cranston was playing like a role that was like important to the plot of the movie. Like he's one of the lead characters, I assume. I didn't say that, I, so I don't know. But he was, um, he was the father of the main character or something. But this is the Candyman. It's, it's a story about candy. Yeah, but it's still he's just. It's not like he's integral really to the story. Like oh, the only the way candy he's man. integral is that Charlie buys the winning candy bar from him. But it's you know it's not. Which like, I also have issues, but we can talk about that later. Why do you have issues with that? Uh. Well, he found that money on the ground, and he knows how hard up his family is. He saved money from his from his paper route to spend money on bread, and here yeah. he is spending all of his money on chocolate. He's a child. All like... of his money on chocolate. His whole pay packet, no better than a man that gets his packet and goes straight down the pub. It's not... <laughs> That's money in hand. That's like he's earning his wages, and he finds a little extra. Why shouldn't he spend it on chocolate? He's a child, and like he's deprived. He eats cabbage soup every night for dinner. He can't have a little chocolate because he tr- he deserves to treat himself. <laughs> I don't have to a be fair for a, for a boy that eats nothing but cabbage soup. He has done very well not to get rickets. <laughs> Um, well, cabbage does have a lot of vitamins and minerals. Um, mm. But anyways, so going back to the casting, Gene Wilder, when he was in his audition, he said, like, the only way that I will do this role is if you let me enter, introduce my character in the way that I want. Mm. And the way that he wanted was the first Strange. time the first time we see Willy Wonka, he's emerging from his factory. Yeah. And the understanding is we nobody has seen him in, like, 20 years. So, like, nobody's really sure what's happened to him or what how he's changed in Where that time. Been, what he's been doing. And so he comes out and he's sort of limping and he has a cane supporting him as he walks. And then he sticks the cane in the ground and it stays there and he continues to limp. And then Forgetting he, the cane. Forgetting the cane. Yeah. And then he all of a sudden locks up and starts to fall forward like a timber, you know, like yeah. a tree falling forward and turns that into a forward somersault and then hops up onto his feet, like proving that he is actually quite... Spry. Yeah. <laughs> For what is probably a sort of man in his early 50s? I don't think so. He's a candy factory owner. <laughs> um, but so the whole re- logic behind that was Gene Wilder wanted to, sh- like, he said, like, you know, movies of his youth, the bad guy would always be, like, doing everything but turning to the camera and be like, I'm lying to this person. <laughs> you know, like, they would, like, <laughs> like, of course I will take care of your cat. <laughs> Lightning in the background, thunder, yeah. you know, like, like winking, you know. And he <laughs> kind of wanted to do the opposite of that, which was to be so indecipherable and so sort of opaque that nobody was really ever sure if he was telling them the truth or if yeah. he was lying just to be like completely inscrutable which I think was such a smart choice because I really love his performance he's like so enigmatic and weird and uh, like because he's so inscrutable it really sort of sucks you in you well, have to pay kind of close attention that he's weird in this one <laughs> it's a dictionary definition of odd <laughs> he's a bit of an odd duck um, <laughs> but I think, like, watching this movie again, I was sort of, as an adult, because as a child I just watched it and I was sort of like, wow, like, look at all the colors and the candy and, like, he's so crazy. Like, these kids are getting, like, put in these really, like, steering circumstances, you know. Um, Mild peril, I believe yeah, they call it. Exactly. 
Um, but now watching it as an adult, it's like, it's really strange. Like, I guess going into the strangeness, since I just mm-hmm. used the word strange. Like, it's really strange that, like, the factory is the setting of this, like, childhood world of wonder. You know, like, when I think of a factory, I think of, like, you know, union battles and, like, meaning like not meaningless but like monotonous daily labor and like the abuse of the proletariat they've blatantly (laughs) never seen how it's made in that case factories are a world of wonder where everything is made i mean in an interesting way but it's is it really it's just like it's just cogs in a machine it's not like this amazing place where like you know trees are made of bubble gum and there's a chocolate river and a chocolate waterfall it's not like a children's paradise you know like a factory is a weird place to set a child's paradise yeah we we need to talk about the chocolate river at some point because Why? It, when i was reading about it Apparently, the guy who played Mike TV ended up saying that they tried to thicken it using cocoa powder, mm-hmm. and that really didn't work. The kid that played Augustus Gloop, uh, yeah. the one who ended up falling into the river, said it just smelled absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, and when we were watching it, I said it looked like some sort of awful diarrhea attack <laughs> coming down a mountain. The only German my mum has ever taught me is uh, Schrecklich Durchfall. Which she got taught when she was a kid, which means uh, something along the lines of "I have really bad diarrhea," <laughs> and I just thought it's like the it's what's the, what's the thing where it's like the word uh, words are very very close to the action. Onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia. Yeah. Schrecklich mm-hmm. Durchfall. Oh, gross. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it looks like a river of shit. I think it just looks like a river. It's pretty close. I don't think so. And to be fair, if you ate everything in that room, it's what would end up happening anyway. Mm, I think you'd probably throw up before you got violent diarrhea. Yeah. Um, Actually, if the entire room was made of candy, and that river was in any way warm, that's another health and safety violation there as well. I really don't think that Willy Wonka is super concerned with health and well, safety. Well, that's wrong, then. It's One, wrong. he's making candy, so, like, they're in, you know, he's not really super concerned about health. Two, like, five children almost die in, in the matter like, of a day. They knew what they were getting into. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just struck me as really weird that this, like, the setting of the movie was in a factory. And, like, that the like the whole prize is, like, congratulations, Charlie. You're now, like, an industrial magnet, you I, know? Well, that's true. I'll, I'll, it's a nice, uh, I can't even think of the words, uh, how you have this magical factory that Willy Wonka runs, owns, etc. And then you have Veruca Salt's father who also mm. runs a factory mm-hmm. the peanut factory yeah which looks like hell on earth mm-hmm. yeah with all of those people just sitting there shelling peanuts yeah day being in. threatened i mean is that man you've got this entire automated process and procedure in willy wonka's factory and this guy's living in the dark ages having employing hundreds of people just to shell peanuts when he could buy technology from willy wonka to shell peanuts <laughs> well clearly mr salt isn't the brightest bulb in the bunch but that is true um, yeah, it's also like this movie, you know, is made in the 70s, so there had to be an acid trip, of course, like we said in the um, boat scene. But, like, how, like, that's so bizarre. Like, why did they think that was an appropriate thing to show children? And, like, 70s were a different time, man. Eh? <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I think it's good because I think, like, sometimes 
children's media can be a little bit too precious, you know, like, and can be like a little bit too like handled with like soft gloves, you know, where it's like, I think like kids can handle a little bit more than adults give them credit for, you know? And like, I think in terms of chocolate, they absolutely can. Yeah. Well, duh. Um, and then I think it's okay to like have kids be scared a little bit. Like, I think that's fine. But we have, you to, know? Protect, we have to protect the children, James. And, like, ultimately, like, nothing truly, like, I mean, I just said that, that part scarred me, but, like, you know, it's there not like, go. it's not, they like, all came out fine. You know, they all blatantly. make it through okay. Like, nobody is, like, seriously hurt or, yeah. like. Well, blatantly, you did not heed the mild peril warning. <laughs> yeah, we should put that at the beginning. There will be children placed in mild peril. Um But, I mean, worse things happen, like Veruca, like, it's put down a shoot to the furnace, like. Is that really bad, though? I mean, she was shit. I mean, I personally... And she would get roasted like a peanut. Personally, as an adult, I identify with her because, like, as an adult woman, I feel like more people should be like, this is what I want and you're going to give it to me now, <laughs> you know? No, like, I think that's awful. Oh, no, I disagree. I think you should know. No, what... I think she is an awful character. I think she's probably the worst one in the entire film. Really? Yeah, I think she's spoiled. I mean, awfully yeah. horribly yes, spoiled. She's spoiled, but like, um, and like, it yes, shows. you shouldn't just like give children whatever they want because that's not real. Mm -hmm. But I feel like women are trained not to ask for what they want. Well, no, you should always ask for what you want. You should always, if you want something, say something. Which is what she does very loudly. She demands it. And she's a horrible, nasty little brat who deserves her punishment. See, I feel like more women in particular should be more willing to demand what they want from life. Because, like, women are, like, you know, part of the reason why there's a pay gap is because women are like, well, I can't ask for a raise. Like, I'm... I don't know how to do that. And, like, half the time when women do, they do studies where they watch, have people watch a video of a woman asking for a raise. And they're like, oh, she's, like, presumptuous. And she's like, how dare she? You know, and it's like, no, fuck that. Ask for what you want. Get yours. Like, throw a tantrum if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> knock over some shit but get yours you know so that seems a bit much i go don't about, i totally disagree go about it in a normal way be polite you can't do that though because the world is like stacked against you you have to demand things in yeah, order to get things but you don't have to be veruca salt about it i i disagree <laughs> good then we're disagreeing on this point i think she's an awful character who gets roasted like a peanut in the end and deserves it She's my favorite of all the children. Um, I find Mike TV to be the most obnoxious out of yeah, all of them. Yeah, you said Mike TV obnoxious appeared in my head. Yeah, out of your marks. I agree. Which is funny Mike because in like in terms of the movie, he was like the child who kind of Gene Wilder didn't really like. <laughs> yeah, apparently the well, <laughs> I think I wrote that down or I read about that. Gene Wilder had a bit of a problem with him. As well as the production crew as well, I think, who found him a bit difficult. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't really have seen that. Apparently all the other kids were lovely. Yeah. I was watching the DVD extra and Gene Wilder was like, I think the actor's name was like Paris something. And he's like, Paris, you know, I love you now. But as a child, you were very, you were a troublemaker. You know? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> just like if that was off camera, he'd just be laying into. So apparently he was a little bit of a shit on set. But yeah. <laughs> Um, it's so funny because in the DVD extra they have like the child actors as adults and like Peter Ostrom, the kid who played Charlie, he grew up to be a veterinarian and oh, like cool. he like consciously chose to not really pursue acting. He was like, well, that's Fair not really what I want to do. So now he's a veterinarian. Three of them are now accountants. I think the woman who played 
um, Violet is an accountant. Peter Ostrom is now doing like financial consulting, so like an accountant. And you don't see um, Peter Ostrom. Oh, here. sorry, Paris something, whatever the guy Mike who played TV. Mike TV is now a financial consultant. Um, and then the guy who played Augustus Gloop is an accountant. <laughs> and then only the woman who played Veruca is still an actor. She was saying that she has like a pretty thriving voice acting career. That's apparently where it's all at now. And mm-hmm. Mark Hamill is top of that pile. Uh, yeah, you could make a lot of money doing voice acting. Uh-huh. Honestly, it sounds amazing. You have to like wear your pajamas and just go in and like talk. I mean, basically what I'm doing right now, which is just wearing sweatpants and <laughs> talking into a microphone. Um, except in that you're acting. Um, but so I totally lost my train of thought thinking about the joys of making money in sweatpants. Um, but <laughs> um, so when they were on set, they basically told the children nothing. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't tell. Um, they didn't tell any of the actors, including the adults, what was going to happen on the boat scene. They all just thought they were like, okay, we're going to have this boat now. They, like, didn't know that Gene Wilder was going to have, like, a mental breakdown yeah. <laughs> um, part of the way through. They also, they didn't tell, um, they didn't show anybody the chocolate room before that scene. So when they open the doors yeah, so and everybody enters for the first time, it's their, like... Astonishment, just yeah, astounded. Yeah, wonder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then in the final scene... Well, not the final scene, but this I guess the penultimate scene of the movie when um, Gene Wilder has his famous, you get nothing, you lose, like that whole monologue. They didn't tell uh, Peter Ostrom, the kid who played Charlie, that he was going to be yelling at him. And like Gene Wilder felt really bad because he had grown kind of close to him through working with him. And he was like, I don't want to yell at him and have him not know that I'm acting. But the director like forbade him from saying anything because he wanted to get that genuine upset. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for... Poor little Charlie. Um, so that, like, him looking like he's going to cry is actually, like, real. Because Gene Wilder's yelling at me. Which, like, honestly, like, I love Gene Wilder's performance so much. Mm-hmm. Because it is so controlled in so many ways, you know? Like... It hits the right level of intensity. Yeah, and it's not overdone. You know, like, when he's... Uh, when things are, like, everybody else is freaking out, he's always the one who's, like... Well, okay. You know, like, he's he's the person who's just, like, sitting in the eye of this hurricane while everybody else is being, like, thrown around. Yeah. You know? Um, like, <laughs> I always crack up when, like, the kids are doing something bad and he's just, like, like, when Veruca's having her temper tantrum and seeing her song, he's just sitting, like, standing there with his cane, like, stone-faced, watching it all happen. Like, he's just watching his room be he destroyed. He's so over that shit. And he's, real. like, just dead-faced. Or, like, when Mike TV is going to be like, I'm the first person to transmit for television. And he's just like, no, stop, wait, don't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like he's so he's kids. so under reacting that mm-hmm. like when it comes time to the point where he actually gets upset, you know. Apart, I mean, the only other time where he actually gets visibly riled up is in the boat scene, and that's really unsettling partly because he has been so calm up to that point and he's starting to like visibly lose it Mm -hmm. you know like you kind of know he's crazy but he's not acting crazy until that moment and then at the end when he like loses his shit and yells at charlie Mm -hmm. it's really upsetting (laughs) um and i think he does such a good job um but yeah i just have gene wilder amazing performance that's one of my notes um Another thing that I thought, although, like, I love this performance so much, I do think that the ending is kind of strange. I wrote down the monologue that he, like, says to Charlie after he gets angry with him, and Charlie, you know, gives him back the everlasting gobstopper. Mm -hmm. 
And between that scene and the scene where they're in the elevator in the sky, like this is what he says. <laughs> you passed the test. You won. I'm giving it to you. I can't go on forever, and I don't really want to try. So who can I trust to run the factory for me when I leave and take care of the Oompa Loompas for me? Not a grown-up. A grown-up would want to do everything his own way, not mine. That's why I decided... A time ago that I had to find a child, a very honest, loving child, to whom I could tell all my precious candy-making secrets. And it's like... It's sort of conflicting in there. Well, it's like... Maybe I'm just misunderstanding. The part where he says he wants to hand... If he was to hand it to another adult, they'd want to do it their way, not his. So he's getting an impressionable young mind in Charlie that he can mould like chocolate (laughs) into... (laughs) Into something that he wants. Well, that's how I read it too, and I was like, "Oh, that's really gross and manipulative a, and yeah. controlling." And because even though you know he's, he's giving abusive. the gift, he's giving. I, I don't know about abusive, but it's definitely underhanded. I mean, yeah, he's like, "I'm giving you the gift of this factory. All you have to do is do exactly what I say and have no opinions exactly of your what own. I've done. You know, yeah. and continue my legacy and not have any sort of ideas of your own. Like that's." Mm-hmm. Not really it, a gift, that's sort of a sentence, you know. I, I did think it was really good in uh, Gene Wilder's performance that he just he just skates right over it. There's no emphasis there. It's said. It's it's like something, 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 that, something, something, something. He just skates right over it. No bumps, no stops, no emphasis. But it feels a and little sinister, doesn't it? No, but that's it? the entire point. It's, it's Do you think th- it's supposed to? Yeah, because I think it's the most important part of that monologue speech. Mm-hmm. But you have to really be listening to understand it. I guess I never interpreted it as being like intentionally sinister. I think it probably is more interesting if it is, because like that's one of the things I do love about this movie is how sinister it is. Like there's always that underlying <laughs> sort of, dark, like, dark. What is going on? Humor, yeah. you know, which is like what drew me to the books initially and what made me love this movie so much. Um, because like as a child, I really responded when like. Maybe this is fucked up, but, like, I really responded when, like, there were, like, actual, like, risk, you know? When, like, kids in a story were actually at risk, you You were know? that kid that, like, like claiming trees without harnesses and, you know, no. standing right at the edge of the train platform. No, I myself was very risk-averse, but... So maybe this was... In the safety of a movie, when I yeah. know, like, nothing's actually gonna happen because it's a movie and it's not yeah, real. Safe. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a safe way to experience risk, you know? Um, so I always enjoyed when like there are some stakes for kids and like when like you know not only do these kids like when they make a mistake like do they run the risk of losing their prize of chocolate for the rest of their lives but they might end up in a furnace or they might drown in a chocolate river (laughs) you know like as like gross as that is asphyxiate in a massive massive tube of chocolate yeah Uh, on that point as well Mm mm-hmm uh, the character of Slugworth, and this ties back to what we were saying at the very start with all the rewrites, and why mm-hmm. Roald Dahl, in, in the end, disowned this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slugworth is a character in the books. He does appear, but only as a rival chocolate maker, candy maker, whatever. Mm-hmm. In the film, they decided to have this scar-faced goon Yeah, whispering in all these children's ears, yeah. Which I honestly really liked. Like, I like that he's so obviously a villain because he has, like, a scar across his face and he's wearing all black and he's just, like, somehow is able to appear every time a child finds... Like, he's instantly there somehow. You know, that corners Charlie in a dark alley, you know? (laughs) Yep. It's it's strange, but 
uh, that was never the way that character was ever intended. Uh, or that character was never in that. In the books? Or the character was in the books, sorry, I said that. Uh, but they were... N- they didn't appear in this manner. No, it was a very minor They were always trying books. to find out Wonka's secrets. There was Slugworth and I think there were a couple of others as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just needed... They said in the movie they needed a villain. You know, they needed... Ridiculous. You don't need an antagonist. Especially when Willy Wonka himself is kind but of he's, a he's a protagonist and antagonist. It's yeah. weird. But I mean, Charlie's kind of the protagonist. Like, but... Yeah. I mean, you could say both. I mean, I feel like if we were playing D&D, Willy Wonka would be, like, chaotic neutral. You know, like... I'll give you that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, not really morally aligned any which way, <laughs> just sort of, like, doing things as he sees appropriate for the given circumstances, not really for good or for bad, you yeah. know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny, because in our D&D game, my character is chaotic neutral, because I find that the most interesting, you know? You just do what you want. <laughs> Could be better. Could be a gelatinous cube. <laughs> Shout out to Matt. Um, so, yeah, I just it's funny that in a children's movie, children are being like casually dispatched. <laughs> um, so I just thought that added to this movie's strangeness. Um, I do want to talk about a little bit about the allegory that's present in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, and like how each child sort of represents like how to be a bad kid, you know, except for Charlie, of course. From some of the stuff I was reading, and I didn't make enough notes on it, each one of the ch- main characters, children, whatever, uh, was a specific drug as really? well. So to tie in with what you were saying about this, there was a lot, I thought, uh, in this film about... Drug use? Dr- yeah, drug use effects, that sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, you thought the, so- the whole boat slash bad illustry bad LSD trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what drugs could they be? I guess <laughs> I guess Augustus Gloop is marijuana because it gives you the munchies. <laughs> it's like well, that? Like well, that um, kind of a parallel? Yeah, but you can also say uh, alcohol, tobacco, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I did read a thing online about like the symbolism of chocolate in the yeah. movie and in the book and like how chocolate is sort of like a drug where like yeah. it fortifies you it like gives you energy but then you can also become yeah. addicted to it sugar is incredibly addictive yes it's... but in the terms of like symbolism oh but okay symbolism yes but in for real as well and it's come out fairly recently that big sugar air quotes uh put or put all the blame vilified fats uh-huh where it's been found more recently that sugar is... Worse. Yeah, like massively worse in the grand scheme of things. It's like how you can see uh, Swedish fish. Fat-free snack! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're made entirely of sugar. (laughs) Nothing could go wrong there. Um, But just, it's interesting, I've never heard that, that the children are each meant to represent a drug. Yeah. Well, that's that's one guy on the internet, and as you know... Okay. Everything on the internet is true. Right, of course. Um, hashtag Pizzagate. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, no. Nonsense. Um, but There you go. Further in the propaganda. That's us. We're just a propaganda machine. It's all a front. The cult movie discussion is just a front to push our propaganda uh, conspiracy theory. Coming to you live from the tent. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to talk about more about how Wonka is sort of a representation of the hermit archetype slash alchemist archetype. You know, uh, yeah. he's sort of this... Well, he's definitely tinkering away in his factory on his own. So mm-hmm. there you go. Right. Like the whole hermit archetype is like there's good hermits and there's bad hermits, essentially. Like the good hermit is like this wise usually older man who lives alone in nature and he's like in touch with nature and you go to him to, for like advice on your quest whereas like the bad hermit he's like alone and like because he's alone he thinks he has like a sense of superiority because he doesn't need you know human companionship and contact yeah. and like he's sort of like unknowable he's sort of like unknowable and like hard to, like he has like a weird magic you know and i was like oh, yeah that tracks you know and like in the book and in the movie you talk about how oh, yeah we have nobody seen wonka for 20 years nobody goes in and nobody goes out oh you should talk about that guy we were watching it together and rob like laughed when charlie was describing the weird old man outside the factory who has meat cleavers dangling from his push cart which i thought was strange enough but then uh, when it's when I said tinker and yeah, uh, tricked me off a bit. Uh, tinker, I don't know if it's the same in the US. As it's I, in the UK, but tinker tink- to me just means somebody who like messes with like stuff, like an yeah. at-home inventor kind of tinker thing. Tinker, as, as far as I know, and I really need to go and check this on the interwebs afterwards. Uh, tinker is a slightly non-PC term to describe gypsies, <laughs> uh, but that would explain why the guy had so many knives. <laughs> And this, I shit you not, I shit you not. Uh, I have been at home, uh, or this is back in Scotland, the doorbell goes, you walk out, and there's someone who's come round looking to sharpen your knives. Seriously? 100% serious. Why? That has actually happened. Because they're going to come in, sharpen your knives, and then murder your whole family? Like, well, they need to sort of level a playing field. They need to see inside your house, make sure you do have a sharp weapon. That's insane. You've had that happen? How old are you? This was... See. That scares me. It's within the last ten years. It wasn't a guy pushing a trolley around <laughs> with like meat cleavers <laughs> hanging off it. But it's still some stranger coming up to your house and be like, "Hey, can I sharpen your knives for you?" Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> I was slightly get off that. my lawn. <laughs> that happened. Uh, but that's you know, that's oh, one. Of we the... had to deal with with Jehovah's Witnesses. Be like, no thanks. We love Satan. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, but that's one of the things that. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. We can edit it. If it's right. It's pretty bad. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, so, historically, uh-huh. uh huh. gypsies have always had like a, a few things that they do. They're never particularly welcome in areas. Uh, right. Because the crime rate does go up. Well, I remember when we were in Denmark, they were like, there were all these signs being like, beware of gypsies and like, yeah. beware of them because they'll pick your pockets. And well, so, it's, <laughs> it seems like a bit of a race panic, but okay. Yeah. It's the same in Paris as well historically like doing odd jobs sharpening knives that sort of stuff has always been things that they do and he just describes him as a tinker and she's like wow <laughs> going back to the good old days there <laughs> good yeah. in quotations yeah. oh yeah thank you for clarifying that yeah, yeah. oh gosh people can't see my eye roll I keep on forgetting about that it just like it's so terrible but it's like whenever I find out about a new weird like cultural bias it's like that's mm-hmm. so strange G- um, yeah. gypsies uh, as a whole have a pretty bad reputation through most of Europe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Classic racism. Pretty much. Oh, anyways, I could go on a rant about that, but I won't. Because um, <laughs> there's plenty of other racist things to talk about in this movie. Um, Pretty tell. Which ones? I'll get to it. But, so yeah, it's like... 
So I feel like Wonka sort of is like the hermit slash like alchemist. You know, he's like the magical wizard who's like kind of like kind of like Merlin type where he's like almost a mentor, but like not straightforward. Like he's not just going to tell you what to do. He's sort of like puts you through circles, you know, and um, has, like, these abilities to, like, transform things into, like, magical, like, the everlasting gobstoppers or the gum that feeds you or, like, you know, like, he has this ability to transform everyday things into, like, these magical things, you Mm -hmm. know? Was the gum itself... Was that not just flavors? It, like a progression of flavors? No, it actually f- like fills you up. It's actually like food, huh. sustaining food. Okay, fair enough. It just it goes wrong in the dessert course. Um, <laughs> um, and then Charlie is sort of the archetype of like the child, you know, like almost like a Jesus and like like baby Jesus, you know, where he's like, he's pure and good of heart and, you know, cannot do any wrong and therefore is deserving of the well, factory. Well, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say that because of what we were talking about earlier, where he spends that money he found on chocolate instead of buying more bread for the family. He's already doing more than he needs to. It's not a child's job to support their family. This isn't like Dickensian England. Like the children aren't in the workhouses. It's he a should child's, be in the factory it's working. It's a child's in job the chocolate to be mines. a child. He's like eight years old or something in this. He should be working in the chocolate mines. <laughs> My fury! I whacked the microphone. Um, <laughs> no, he was in every right to spend that found money on chocolate. I would have done the exact same thing. Um, which obviously means that it was the right decision. <laughs> well, obviously, and to be honest, I'd be amazed if you could buy two massive candy bars for a quarter. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Um, but yeah, so he's sort of representative of like the, you know, pure, innocent, um, you know, deserving of good things kind mm-hmm. of child, you know, whereas all the other children are like little monsters. Yeah, he has had a pretty shitty shake Rough of a go stick. Of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the scene. Uh, when they're breaking down, you know, if you the, when they're learning percentages, and that one kid <laughs> two, says, I can't figure one, out two. You just took it away from me. The one, the first one, say, the first kid says, yeah, you know, you did a uh, hundred chocolate bars. The second kid says, I did hundred and fifty. Charlie, Charlie comes, Bucket, how, how many did you, you do? Open? I did two. Okay, so you did two hundred. Just like, no, I did two. And the teacher looks at him in disgust, so he gets yeah. shamed in front of his I entire know, class. I know, it's so sad. They'll be sorry. They will all be sorry. Um, all the chocolate in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just funny to think about, like, because basically every, like, apart from Charlie, who is, like, the perfect little angel boy, all the children represent, like, what Roald Dahl considers to be, like, bad child. So, like, basically, it's, like, being fat, <laughs> reading books, or, sorry, being fat makes you bad, which is hugely fat shaming and kind of awful you know like the Augustus Gloop like he just would you, not say, would you not say that's more of a stereotype in Germany is it I don't know well you saw his parents there when it, when the when the interviewer puts the mic to the guy's father he like I chomps just, on he it he eats the mic is that a thing I my German stereotypes are that they're well, efficient it's, it's, and like don't know. have a sense of humor <laughs> it's potentially why because they get shit on all the time uh <laughs> But you can see the same, see the same, see the same in The Simpsons. With I've never seen that show, so which I, which still blows my mind. Uh, but the German exchange student in The Simpsons is a fat little German boy. See, okay, I wouldn't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is, but um, yeah, but basically, it's like he's not a bad kid. He just eats a lot, you know, and like. Pfft. 
that's true for a lot of children. You know, they so what it's like, okay, so he deserves to like be shot through a pipe and like potentially killed because he's like fat? Like okay. Um, well, to be fu- to be fair, if Willy Wonka had been in any way efficient, he would have attached scrubbing panels or little things to Augustus Gloop. Then when he had gone pipes. exactly. Um, so yeah, apparently if to be a bad kid, you to be fat is to be bad. To chew gum constantly is to be bad. To be spoiled is bad, and to watch too much television is bad. Like these are all the things that are deserving of being murdered in a factory. <laughs> I just had the thought cross my mind of I would pay money to see a crossover between Charlie and Chocolate Factory and Saw. Oh jeez! Oh no, thank you. I would not. I would not go see that. I would go and see that. That would be amazing. Um, I was thinking they should turn like you know how they have like Harry Potter Universal. They should have like Willy Wonka Universal. Like how amazing would it be to they like have s- ride a Wonka Vader or like go on the Wonka Mobile or the boat or something? You know. I'm not so sure about the elevator, unless it's just the one that goes up, down, side, side. Back, yeah, that'd forwards. be an amazing roller coaster if that, you were like. I remember the one we went on in Denmark. The elevator. <laughs> Yeah. No, the so. one that went sort of backwards and forwards in circles and stopped. And yeah, I mean, you wanted to puke, but like, <laughs> doesn't mean other people but, wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, in Alton Towers in the UK, if it's still, if this room still exists, it was sponsored by Cadbury's, mm-hmm. one of the sort of bigger chocolate makers in the UK. Uh, but they had this part of the room where you turn a crank, and chocolate falls out of this part of the wall. Ooh, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, I think they should turn it into a theme park. Um, but yeah, it's like basically like watching too much television. Like one of the notes I wrote was like, clearly this was made before peak TV. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, so when was peak TV? Peak TV is now. You know, like peak TV. It's like we're in like prestige television era where okay, it's like you can enough. be an intellectual and watch TV. It used to be like people called it the idiot box. You know, okay, but enough. like yeah, if, if you wanted to jawed. be yeah, if you wanted to be a good child, you must read books. Mm-hmm. Don't be greedy. Don't chew gum and eat in moderation. Like those are like. <laughs> to be fair, I can see basis in the eat in moderation one, just for sort of general health. But I mean, and it's like, being greedy. It can be justified in cases, but you should always try and share. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are starving children in the world, just like Augustus Gloop could have shared his food with Charlie. That's true, I guess. I just think it's very fat, Jamie. It's like he doesn't do anything wrong. He just like eats too much, I guess. He's a product of his environment. <laughs> um, moving on. So okay, so basically, for my cultural sensitivities, the Oompa Loompas are like super racist. Yeah, I find the representation of the Oompa Loompas to be extremely racist. And that's not just me being sensitive. Like, I looked it up, and apparently in the original version of the book, the Oompa Loompas were African pygmies who, like, ate caterpillars and were just, like, black people who, like, were... That skipped my mind. Yeah, who just, like, were basically slaves in his factory. Um, and but then he saved them from hornswoggles. He is... The savior. Well, that's so British. Like, it's such a British ideal. <laughs> Do no, you have something I, to no, say no, about that? No, what I'm saying is carry on that line of thought. Because I was thinking that last night in terms of... it was, It's just sort of smacks of hugely of colonialism. It's extremely colonialistic. And it's awful. It's, it's really bad. Terrible yeah, coming it's in like, thinking, you're saving these people from a life of what you see as misery. Yeah, it's basically but, like the white man's burden. Like, have you yeah, ever read the Rudyard Kipling poem? I have not, but it's just like... How was Wonka 
to know that they didn't have this sort of perfect little ecosystem going. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it is. It's the white person going into a different culture. Through their eyes, they see it as like, oh, how Misery. terrible. You yeah. must be miserable. You don't have factories. You don't have paved roads. Like, here, let me save you and bring you to my factory and make you work for me for free because I saved you from this perceived peril. Um I'm just going to look up The White Man's Burden. I can't believe you've never read it. I had to read it so many times in school. I went to school in the UK. They don't teach us that. Rudyard Kipling is British. He is. But we learn about him for his war poetry and that sort of stuff instead. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Yeah. But take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best ye breed. Go bind your sons to exile to serve your captives' need. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild your new-caught sullen peoples half devil and half child. Like, it goes on. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, uh, and, like, this wasn't, like, at the time, it was, like, the, the white man's burden was, like, it was your burden to go and, like, bring civilization to these, like, uncivil, and I'm I'm air quoting, like, yeah. all of this, you know, to bring, like, yeah, the Western civilization to these, like, underdeveloped, like, ignorant people, you know, and, like, save them from their own, like, uh, savagery, you know, it's like, oh my god, and that's like really what it feels like with Willy Wonka and the Oompa Loompas, you know, like I'm gonna save you by bringing you to my factory and making you work as slaves for me. Like you're so welcome, like, you know, like. Ooh. Well, he's he's, he's given he's he's giving them jobs. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a job creator. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly Wonka would be a Republican if he was in uh, the U.S. He would be an um, effective business owner. Oh my god. So yeah, so that's just really like squicky. Like watching them as an adult, it's like, oh god, that's like, and it's so British. It's so British. Like this, yeah. like, justification of like destroying culture and like um, imposing your own beliefs on other cultures. Well, to be fair, the UK owned through, through warfare for the most part, uh, like a third of the world's land at one point or something ridiculous like that. Uh, and it was just fucked up. Yes, it was. I was like, are you, like, are you trying know, to justify I'm not, I'm colonialism? Not. Okay. Because <laughs> we might have a problem no. if that's the case. Yeah, no, fucked up. So, yeah, just watching that as an adult, it's like, ooh, that's not great. I mean, yeah, no, I can't justify it at all. There's nothing no, there's positive nothing, to be said no, about absolutely that. No, um, So, yeah, so that's uncomfortable and is unfortunate and is sort of like an unavoidable thing about this movie that you have to address you know but i mean that's true of a lot of cult movies is it's like it's deeply beloved but it's also deeply flawed you know and well, i mean it's interesting that you're you bring up the flaws and that sort of thing if you move it slightly to the side and move into television and cartoons mm-hmm. a lot of uh in fact all all of the tom and jerry cartoons now have disclaimers before them because the older violence no, uh, because of the oh, de- because of depictions. the mammy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's in- it's horrifically racist. I remember when I was wa- watching it as a kid, and it was a bit like that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was early nineties, something like that. Uh, but even then, I knew that it was just a bit off. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why because I was a child, like mm-hmm. three, four, five. Didn't really understand it. I was just watching a mouse beat on a cat for a while, which mm-hmm. I also found horrible because the cat was one. <laughs> That's what makes it funny, <laughs> is the tables have turned. Um, I wish to see realism in my cartoons. All right, well, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> um, 
Um, so moving on from the unfortunate racism of this movie, uh-huh. um, there is a mix of high and low art, which is, you know, common to cult movies. Like, there are a ton of references made to sort of higher art within this film. Which ones I never saw? Any. It's mostly in spoken dialogue. It's, like, quotes said by Willy Wonka um, throughout the movie. I'm just finding list. Okay. So this is taken from IMDb Trivia. Among Wonka's lines are the following quotations. Is it my soul that calls upon my name from Romeo and Juliet? All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by from the John Macefield poem Sea Fever. A thing of beauty is a joy forever from John Keats's Endymion, a poetic romance. And round the world and home again, that's the sailor's way from William, William Allingham's Homeward Bound. We are the music makers is from, you know, we are the music makers and we are the dreamer of dreams is from Arthur O'Shaughnessy's Ode, which also gave us the phrase movers and shakers. Hmm. Where's fancy bread and so shines a good deed are from William Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. The lines to the song Sweet Lovers Love the Springtime are from Shakespeare's As You Like It. Candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker is from Reflections on Icebreaking by Ogden Nash. The suspense is terrible. I hope it will last is a quote from Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. Um, so there's like a shit ton of like kind of yeah, high literary high quotes. bro quotes that completely flew over my head. Mm. Yeah, they also, the musical lock to open the door to the chocolate room, Mike TV's mom is like, "Mm, Rachmaninoff, you know, so it's like a little Rachmaninoff. I did, I I saw the, or sorry, I I heard her say, "Mm, Rachmaninoff, Mm -hmm. and it didn't click until she said that. Yeah. Because I like Rachmaninoff. Me too. So, that's kind of interesting that, like, throughout this movie, he's, like, quoting all these, like, famous British poets and novelists yeah, and, and playwrights yeah. you know and you the british person are not catching any of it <laughs> much like uh, augustus gloop i'm a product of my environment mm-hmm. i learned nothing <laughs> how are you feeling augustus hungry <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so i just like that they it's it's a children's movie but at the same time they're still referencing keats and shakespeare uh well, that's, that's potentially, you could add in, like, how, how I, mean, I mean, this is probably something more for the end, but how rewatchable it is. Totally. And this hugely adds in, because when you're young, it's, you know, it's an adventure in a chocolate factory. Who wouldn't want that? Mm-hmm. But when you're older, you've got these higher brow things that you're seeing and tie into the overall story, which just give it that much more flavor and depth. Much like chocolate. <laughs> Very true. It does have rewatch value, I agree. I think it is something that, like, how it, like, the cult builds around this movie is, you know, uh, we didn't touch on this yet, but upon it was sort of missed upon its re- initial release. Mm. It was made with a budget of two million and it only made. It's made a budget of three. Really? That's what Wikipedia says. I thought, hold on. Initially, it was at a budget of three, made four million on a limited release. And then was was then re-released in 1996 and made $21 million. You're right. It was made on a budget of $3 million and then earned $4 million. Um, And then, yeah, it made a shit ton more money when it was acquired by WB and then re-released on DVD and on television. So that adds into its mass... Or that adds into this one, the basic uh, elements of cult Mm -hmm. there is in that it didn't have a spectacular release. No. But then really came into its own... It had its discovery phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once it came out on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. Yeah, 
It was like one of the most popular um, DVD rentals in the 80s when like movie rentals were at their peak from like Blockbuster and stuff, RIP. Um. DVD rentals in the 80s? Oh, VHS rentals, whatever. It's <laughs> like, why are you looking at me like that? Um, Got some sort of futuristic technology way back in the 80s. It's actually, it's part of the National Film Registry. Theme. Yes, uh, I made a note about that as well. Uh, here we go. This is, yeah, these are some of the things I was looking for where, the, where it says budget. Uh, in terms of awards, that sort of thing, and well, recognition specifically, mm -hmm. uh, it's preserved in the US National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure what the entry requirements for that. It just has to be deemed like historically, aesthetically significant, significant yeah. Which is a, a huge piece of recognition on its own. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in terms of recognition, cool. In terms of awards, it was put up for an Academy Award for Best Original Score, mm -hmm. uh, which it shouldn't necessarily have had. Why? Not because the songs were bad, but initially when Roald Dahl was, was writing the, uh, the screenplay, there were only the two songs. So you had the Candyman and the Impalumpa songs. Mm -hmm. And then we had all the other stuff in the Seltzer added which wouldn't have occurred if he hadn't have come in, you know, if Dal hadn't, uh, or sorry, if Dal hadn't missed his deadlines. Mm -hmm. So that, so they got an Academy Award nomination based on something that Roald Dahl didn't want to happen. Right. And some people actually didn't even like the music. Like some critics <laughs> like thought that the music was annoying, which I think is ridiculous because as Rob can attest, I have been singing all the songs from the movie for the past two days. Every. Fucking uh, <laughs> if you want to view paradise. It's also very interesting, because in terms of crossover... Paradise, I was flat. <laughs> in terms of crossover, there are songs that appear... I know the Candyman song appears in The Simpsons. Who can make sunrise? And I know the Oompa Loompa Sprinkle song appears in Family Guy. Yeah, it's very much... Per it's Pervasive. It's very pervasive in the culture. Yeah, you know? which is another tick in the cult qualifier. Totally. Box. Or in that column. Uh, beyond the Academy Award, it was also nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, that would be, or sorry, that was uh, Gene Wilder was nominated for a Golden Globe mm -hmm. uh, for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. But both for both the Academy Award and the Golden Globe, uh, the film and Wilder lost out to Fiddler on the Roof, mm. which I thought was horribly ironic given the end of the film. They're up in the elevator, all they can see is roofs. Oh, I was like, when is there a Fiddler? <laughs> I do love Fiddler, and the movie of Fiddler is really good. I still want to see it. I love Fiddler. Um, but, <laughs> tradition, anyway. Um, <laughs> talking, yeah, it was, like, it did receive some, like, critical recognition in that sense, where it was, like, nominated for the Oscar, but, I mean, best score, that's, like, kind of a lame Oscar to be nominated for, you know, like, if that's the really? only, if that's the only one, that's, like, no acting, no directing, that's no all screenplay. Tell me. No, I think it is, it's the only one it was nominated for, so. Okay. Uh, that's okay. not great. From your side, why is it not a great award to be nominated for? It's not, Are you like, just wanting the big awards like you know best actor i'm just i'm not saying that actress, in and of itself of it's a bad award to be nominated for like any award is great mm -hmm. but if that's the only award that your movie is being nominated for is the music then like the music is like not that big of a part of the movie for the most part it's I mean, like no acting nominations no directing nominations no screenplay nominations like 
I mean, you could. I, I Music could, is sort of like yeah. icing. It's not the right. cake, you it's, know. To me, to me, just being nominated for an Academy it's an Award. It's honor just to be nominated. Well, not so much. <laughs> just the fact that I'm coming from the point of I don't have any sort of background in drama or anything like that because I was awful at it in school. It's the only thing I was like properly bad at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for me, it's just like, well, you know, you've been recognized and you've been put forward for it because it's hit a certain level of professionalism. Yeah, but you're not listening to what I'm saying, which is that like it's for a movie to be nominated just for its score. Okay, now I see. Okay. Uh, in that case, would you say if I know yeah, I've answered one question there. I was going to say, would it have been as big of a deal if Avatar, which won a ton of Oscars, uh, if that had only really been nominated for its uh, CGI? Yeah, I mean that's like saying it's like, listen, your movie's not that great, but the special effects are impressive. So like, but there's still a lot of professional work that goes into it. And there are, but you can have amazing special effects and still have a terrible movie. Oh, absolutely. You can have amazing score and still have a terrible movie. You know. So if that's the only thing you're being nominated for... Okay, then. It's not saying that your movie is good, it's saying that one aspect of your movie is good. Has there ever been any sort of musical that's been nominated for acting and just got shat on for the score? I don't know off the top of my head. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it was sort of panned by critics. People thought it was sort of like, it's fine, it's just the screen is just not showing it. It's still recording. Okay. Um, <laughs> It was sort of panned by most critics. A notable exception, my nemesis, Roger Ebert. Yeah, he loved it. <laughs> he did. He compared it to The Wizard of Oz. He, he was like, this is like the greatest children's movie since The Wizard of Oz. It, like, it does what like children's movies are supposed to do, which yeah. is to like create a world of wonder and fantasy, you know? Which, like, yes, Roger Ebert, I actually agree with you. Mm-hmm. Like, correct. <laughs> <laughs> you and Ebert finally see eye to eye. Uh, eventually. I'm sure it won't last. Um, <laughs> Just when those stars and planets aligned yep. and Jamie and Roger Ebert finally agree on something. Mm-hmm. So that, I thought that was kind of funny um, <laughs> um but so that sort of adds to it whenever there's like sort of like a critical ambivalence you know because yeah. like the whole question of cult is a question of taste you know and critics are sort of like a level of taste maker so if you know they're rejected if the movie is rejected by critics it sort of throws into like well you're wrong like nah, like you think you're so smart you don't like this movie you're dumb and you're wrong you know <laughs> um I don't know. I, I never. I always take what critics say with a bit of pinch of salt. Yeah. Most recently, proven to me by Bright on Netflix, which got absolutely panned by the critics, but has a very, very high score in Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The thing that occurred to me when we were talking about um, the high-low stuff and all the references to art mm-hmm. um, in literature, like another aspect that I love of Gene Wilder's performance, that's like sort of part of the script, is how he keeps changing the language he's talking in. You know, like it adds this like not only is he inscrutable in that like he doesn't react to things the way a normal person would, mm-hmm. but like also the language in which he's speaking is incomprehensible because it, like these people speak English and like now he's speaking French and now he's speaking German and now he's speaking. <laughs> of the world you know like he's constantly like switching which language he's communicating in making it harder and harder for people to like follow the yeah to actually like keep up with him and actually like absorb and like respond so it's i just love it so much it's so good so brilliant (laughs) (laughs) change the moment i just love it it's so good i really like him as an actor um 
think that's most. Let me just go through my first impression and see if I missed anything. I did miss something, and it was purely just a singular shout out to the lady who played Charlie's mum, mm-hmm. who I thought had a very nice voice when she was she singing. She does have a really nice voice. Cheer up, Charlie! Oh, yeah. A.K.A. the part of the movie everybody fast forwards through. <laughs> I like that. Also, I did have a couple of questions regarding Grandpa Joe. What about Grandpa Joe? Let me see. I think I read something on IMDb that he was blinded in the Holocaust or something. Like, he like survived a gas attack. Wow. Um, I'm might that might be just something I made up, but I'm pretty sure I read that. What were you gonna say? Uh, okay. Before we do that, uh, going back to the drug referencing, uh-huh. uh, the Candyman with his soda fountain and all that sort of thing. He's effectively a pusher, deal, yeah, <laughs> pushing sugar on the children, uh, giving out free samples, throwing marshmallows at kids. Yeah, just hooking them in. He's clearly not a very good businessman. No, <laughs> it's like he's Wonka's not. the ultimate <laughs> yeah. capitalist. Yeah. Uh, he is sort of just like, here, take my product, whatever. And then he makes Charlie pay. Like you're just giving away free stuff to all these kids. When Charlie comes in, he's like, <laughs> "Where's my money, punk?" <laughs> That's because Charlie was silly enough to show off that coin. Yeah, right. Keep it in your pockets. Okay, so Grandpa Joe does give her a number of gifts. Through through the film. Uh-huh. If Grandpa Joe is bedridden... How is he getting these presents? Exactly. I think probably Mrs. Bucket is running errands for him. That would be my guess. And this is also the problem I had with Charlie buying the second bar of chocolate. Hmm. He buys that second bar of chocolate for Grandpa Joe, but then just decides to open it anyway, finds the ticket, and then throws the chocolate away. What the fuck? <laughs> Because he has an everlasting supply of chocolate now. He doesn't need this one. He's got an everlasting supply. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I felt it was wrong. Oh, I'm just reading the trivia, and IMDb says that the musical code for entering the chocolate room played by Willy Wonka is the introduction of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Marriage of Figaro. Ah, so she was wrong. Yeah, so she was wrong saying that. So that's actually kind of funny because she considers herself so smart. You know, like, I am a teacher of geography, you know. (laughs) Rock my mouth. It's like, I don't actually know it's Mozart, but... In which case, I too uh, am that sort of fake person. (laughs) Because I'm like, I do like explain enough. (laughs) I don't remember it, but I can't identify it. Well, whatever. It's fine. Um, That was my note on Wonka colonialism. Just colonial. Yeah, just the fact he comes in as their savior. Another moment that I loved, sort of just offhand, is when they're interviewing Mike TV after he won the after he found the golden ticket, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I, you know, one of these days I'm going to have a real gun, a Colt forty five, but my dad says I can't have one yet." And the dad goes, "Not to your twelve, son." It's like, oh god, this was made in the seventies, and it's so like that one like throwaway joke is now suddenly like so poignant. There's also. A part where Charlie's mum is speaking to him. Charlie and Charlie's mum are having a conversation. And Charlie's mum says there are a billion people or something in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's up to like eight. <laughs> eight billion? Yeah. That isn't something we talked about just because it's not really like a cult thing, but it is one thing. Like, you know, a lot of times we talk about cult movies, we talk about the movie being, like, so bad it's good. I don't think this is a bad movie. No. I think this is a generally really good movie. Yeah. And, like, one of the things I really like about this movie is its humor, you know? Like, I love, like, there are a lot of really good visual gags, like, when their reporter is, like, in the Bavarian restaurant and he's got, like, the antlers positioned behind his head so he looks <laughs> like he's got antlers coming out of his yeah. skull, you know? Or, like, the jokes, like, the cutaways to, like, you know... 
Mrs. So-and-so, your husband's been kidnapped and they want a ransom. They want your Wonka bars. And she's just, like, hesitating. <laughs> life or chocolate? Yeah, it's just your husband's life or your Wonka bars. How long will they give me to think it over? You know? <laughs> like, all those silly gags I really appreciate. And I don't, like, I think, you know, sometimes movies run the risk of, when they put that kind of stuff in, that's not really, like, central to the plot. It's just, like there for flavor that it can sort of make the movie drag a little bit but i actually feel like this movie is a really good clip it has really good pacing you know it doesn't feel slow at any point i mean you Um, you have your acts but there's not there's not a slow act in there mm -hmm. like you said it's a good pace through every single one of the acts so i would agree um going back to like the languages that Wonka spoke i actually forgot to mention that he does like slip into latin like at the end when he's like reading the impossible to read um contract that they signed by going in he starts like you know etc etc like librium ace you know like apparently it starts off in latin and then just slips into gibberish you know clear as crystal you know (laughs) um i also read that like the reason why wonka's office everything is cut in half is because the director didn't you know they spent the second half of this movie going through all these like wondrous rooms where everything's like visually really interesting to look at. He didn't want to end the movie in just an office. So he, to make it interesting, he had everything cut in half. And again, with this movie, like committing to its reality when Gene Wilder is getting the contract out of the, half cabinet like the paper is sitting right there and he could easily just reach into the side but he (laughs) opens it grabs it and then closes it which i just find delightful um yeah also the names in this movie like roald Dahl really like wasn't super into subtlety with that like charlie bucket (laughs) like i just read that veruca is actually like a type of wart that you get on your foot um (laughs) gross Um, Mike TV is the kid who's yeah. obsessed with TV, Augustus Gloop, you know. Who falls into a gloopy river full yeah, of chocolate. Yeah, and he himself is kind of gloopy. Yeah. Um, Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet, you know. <laughs> and the fact that, like, all the parents have the same name, like Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Josephine, or Grandpa Joe, Grandma Josephine, Grandpa George, Grandma, Grandma Georgina. Georgina. And then, like, I think some of the other kids' parents had, like, the same kind of, sort like, male-female female equivalent yeah. names. It's like... <laughs> Just so weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much the most of what I wanted to touch on. Is there anything else you want to talk uh, about in no, the quote qualifiers? Gone through all my notes. Uh, I've brought all the points I wanted to. Okay, great. So let's rate it okay. on a scale of one to ten. One being the least culty, ten being the most. Uh, w- ten is a Rocky Horror Picture Show. What would be an example of a least culty movie? Dunkirk. <laughs> that's a good film. But it's not a cult film. <laughs> no. How about Cars? Ugh, cars, like the Pixar Cars? Yes. I didn't like that movie. It really creeped me out how, like, the cars, like, were physically intimate. Not like they had sex, but, like, they were, like, kissing and stuff. I was like, for some reason that, like, uh, anthropomorphism really bothered me. I was like, oh, that's creepy. I don't like that. Um, but anyway, so sure, Cars okay. is a one. <laughs> um, and Rocky Horror is a ten. Where would you put Willy Wonka? In terms of overall cultiness, mm-hmm. give it a solid seven. I give it a six. 
Okay, so six, what, and, six and, and a half. half? Yeah. Okay, that's Just because, like, I think it's, like, it's Absolutely. super weird. It's a really weird movie. Yeah. You know, like, the fact that they have a bad acid trip in a children's movie, like, the fact that, like, drugs are such, like, a present part of the movie that's made yeah. for children is really strange and clearly, like, a sign of the times, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is back when they thought acid was, like, really good for you and, like, you should take it, you know? Like, uh-huh. um... I think that, like, adds to its closeness the fact that it was, like, missed on release and people had to sort of discover it and how it gets, sort of, like, passed down <laughs> through families, you know, like, yeah. parents indoctrinate their kids who then go on and pass it on to their kids, makes it very culty. And I'm sure there are, like, midnight showings, but it's not, like, Rocky Horror where, like, the midnight showings are, like, events that you go to and, like, blah, blah, blah. At least not that I know of. If there are, please tell me because I will be there. Um <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's a solid, I think six and a half is appropriate. I think that's good. Maybe argue slightly too low, but that's just me being me. It's my show, so. <laughs> Fine. Fine. <laughs> I will be the guest that never returns. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, yeah. so if you like this show, you can follow us on some social media platforms. You can follow us on Instagram at Cult Movie Carnivores. You can follow us on Twitter at Cult Movie Cast, capital CMC. You can also search that hashtag. Our show is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple I- Apple podcast itunes or the fuck it is now i don't know i'm not an apple person um but um you can (laughs) if you like us leave us a positive review and give us a rating that really helps other people find our show and you know indoctrinate your friends into our cult we would appreciate it um you can email us at cultmoviecarnivores at gmail.com you can visit our website cultmoviecarnivores.com and if you want to know what movie we're going to be talking about next week follow us on those social media platforms and we'll give you a heads up there um otherwise we will see you later guys happy new year Bye. Bye.